consider yourself resilient? And what does that even mean to you? In this podcast, Resilient Entrepreneurs with Two for One, we chat with business owners about what resilience means to them. And we go deep. What we've learned running our own businesses, you're never alone, even when it feels like it. So tune in anytime to this podcast. We're always here for you, celebrating resilient entrepreneurs just like you. We're Lauren Vicky from Two for One, a marketing company for early stage business owners who want to launch, grow, and be resilient. Well, we're thrilled to welcome Dr. Dion Payne to Resilient Entrepreneurs podcast. Dion speaks on the topics of ethical property investing, affordable housing, and ending homelessness. She's the CEO and founder of High Impact Property Investments, and her business specializes in connecting investors with double-digit returns and with projects that provide affordable homes, build communities, and provide inclusive homes for people with disabilities. It's an incredible business, and Dion is the author of Ethical Property Investing, the book. It's the busy professional's guide to double-digit returns from affordable and sustainable homes. Dr. Dion is on a mission to raise $1 billion for ethical property investments by December of 2026, and we're going to talk more about that, I hope. She also recently spoke at the Global Conference of the Rotosa Family Office Summit in Monte Carlo. She was one of only two Australians at that event, and she's really shifting the needle on property investment on the industry internationally by bringing awareness to the social impact that investors can enjoy while they're also getting their financial returns. Dion, we really appreciate that your business is a business for good. Um, And we hope to talk about the importance of having that triple bottom line in this episode and how to do that. But first of all, we'd love to just get to know you a little bit more. So I happen to have seen in uh, researching your work that you once worked in the pharmaceutical industry with a focus on natural product chemistry and you did your doctorate in that field so do tell us how do you go from that to property investment in sustainable projects well i did my phd in essentially sugarcane chemistry and it was looking at sugarcane and the waste stream of sugarcane as a source of medicines for diabetes so that was I mean, I've always had an interest in natural health. My my nan, I would call her a healer. She probably wouldn't call herself that, but she always knew the, the herbs to take and the remedies to take when we got sick. So that's, I think, where I got that love of natural remedies from. So it was really, it was really cool to come to Australia and get a scholarship for a PhD, uh, doing something that would add value to the Australian sugar industry as well. So that was fun. Um, but then when we came to Australia, we landed in Byron Bay, which is, you know, the easternmost point of Australia. And it's a really beautiful location. Uh, but it's a real, it's a really popular tourist location as well. And, and housing affordability is a, a big thing here, as in it's not very affordable to live here. So after I finished my PhD and I had children and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but I knew that I was going to stay home and raise my kids for a little bit of time. But wanting to be able to purchase a property and not being able to because prices were out of our reach and we were just on one income, which is my husband's income, it made me just want to take the time to learn about creative strategies for getting into property. And so that's how I fell into property developing 
And, you know, the first couple of projects that we did, it was very much a case of looking after me and mine and, and earning a return from that and, and putting us in a better financial position. Um, and then about three projects in, I did a project which was, it was a 10, sorry, it was a 14 townhouse development project. So it was bigger than anything I'd done before. And it was quite challenging in that respect. I, I bit off more than I could chew. However, the end result of it was we created affordable owner-occupied and affordable rental homes for people in the community that wouldn't have been able to uh, afford to buy here um, if they hadn't had this opportunity. So the lesson for me in all of that was, wow, I can, I can achieve double-digit returns myself as an investor and I can do something that's meaningful for my community and not just my community. There were friends um, that were able to purchase into that development and um, that really helped to set them up on, on their journey of, of financial security as well. So it went from, a you know, this is something that I'm doing to you know, accumulate money for myself to this is something that I'm doing, which has a broader, a broader social good. That's how I'll say that. Wow. That's, inc- that's an incredible story. I, I'm still just sitting here like, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by property development, but I have no understanding of it. How much work did it take for you to research and learn and to get into it? And, and how many mistakes did you make along the way before you got it right? Let's be real. That's, that's a challenge. It is a real challenge. Um, how much time did it take? Well, I mean, it's a constant learning journey. I'm still learning about it now. And even though I'm not actively involved in properly develop myself, because I work with developers, I'm still needing to be across what it is that they're doing. So when I talk to investors, I can say in full confidence, well, this is a, this is a good project and these are the returns and um, this is the impact that they're going to create. So it's constant learning. And, and look, I've been in the industry for eight years now and, and I love it. I really do love the creativity of it. Uh, when we talk about mistakes, oh my gosh, how long have you got? <laughs> 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 Suffice to say that there's, there's a certain personality that you need to have as a property developer um, my personality is very much about you know how do I make friends and influence people um, whereas as a property developer I felt and I, I don't think this is the case for everybody it's quite a generalization but I felt that I would have to become a much more ruthless harder person somebody that's prepared to crack the whip at all costs because at the end of the day yeah. if the project if the numbers don't work and if you get time delays and, and that blows out the budget, then as the developer, you're the one that's taking all of the risks. So um, in terms of my personality and in terms of what I like to do, property development wasn't really my thing, but I still really appreciate the creativity of it. And, and the fact that you can see a piece of acre land, which has got nothing on it. And then 18 months later, there's something on it and, and there's money in the bank as well. So um, I, I have a lot of respect for property developers and I, I have a lot of respect for property developers that are creating projects that have that social and environmental impact as well, because the traditional way of doing property development is, is just to you know slap some houses on a site and sort of hope for the best, whereas making the commitment to something bigger than just the financial return is pretty cool. Yeah, because there is a lot of focus on the financial return for a lot of developers, I'm sure. Right. So it's it's finding the ones that are aligned with your purpose of social impact that I think is the key and building those relationships. Yeah. That you you find over time. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, I mean, so how long have you been an entrepreneur for? Like, has it been sort of since this point or were you an entrepreneur before then? 
That is a really good question. Hmm. <laughs> is it something back to your childhood? Like, you know, some oh, of us can no. lemonade stands or you know, any of that good stuff? No. Well, well, funny you say that, actually, because I did have a stint making soap and um, soap and candles and things like that. And that was after I'd finished university and it was a bit of a side hustle thing that I had going on and I'd taken to craft fairs and things like that. But that actually started, and that was a funny story, that started because I was somewhere and just, it was a shopping centre and I just wandered past this store which had this sort of bounty of soaps and they were smelt beautiful. They're all handmade soaps. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, how do you do that? And the guy said to me, don't you worry yourself about that. You, you wouldn't be able to do it. And I was so offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> so I was like, I didn't say this, but in my head, I was like, screw you. I am going to find out how to make soap and I am going to have a soap making business. So I did. And it was an interesting journey. I was actually scared of selling. So I didn't, I didn't do as well as I could have done in that. Um, but people got lots of soap and candles for presents. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. There's so know much wrapped up in that. There's so much in that story, Dion. I mean, you know, I love how the ego drives us, you know, especially when we're um, young and impressionable. All it takes is for one person to say, you can't do it and I'll show you. I mean, how many <laughs> of us have done that, right? And that's a fantastic. And so you've had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, it sounds like you're an unintentional entrepreneur. <laughs> I think so. I think I've stumbled. I mean, the thing for me is that around the selling, like it took me a long time to realize that selling was actually influencing somebody to do something that for their benefit. Um, I, I probably haven't, that's not the real definition of sales, but essentially what I believe now is that if you have a problem and I can solve your problem and you're willing to pay for that problem to be solved, then that's the sale, right? So I've got really good at doing that in the context of we've got an affordable housing crisis, we've got a, a climate crisis, how can we build in a way that um, can provide some relief for both of those? That's the problem. And then on the other side, you've got investors and they're wanting to achieve good returns on the work that they do. And it's like, well, I have a solution for that. There's developers that are um, doing really well, they've got the track record of creating these double digit returns. How about I match you um, so that you have the benefit of that. And, and then everybody gets the benefit from that. So that's my whole sort of journey through sales going from, oh, gosh, I feel like I'm pushing something on somebody to problem, solution. There you go. Ah, I like that view. I like that view a lot because I think as entrepreneurs, the thing that we don't like the most is the sale. It's hard. You know, we want to build relationships and we and we there's the marketing side. Like, oh, well, we're from marketing backgrounds. So like, that to us is natural, but to actually sell is is real challenge because there's a lot of negative negativity around sales, right? We think of it as sleazy or we think of it as pushy or we think of it as, you know, just money grabbing as much as possible, but rather, I like the way you put it, it's just matching the right people together. It's just matchmaking. It, it's very simple. I like that. I was going to say, I feel like I'm quite good at matchmaking. A couple of friends have, um, I've, I've been able to partner them off with with other people. I quite like that. <laughs> oh, that's your superpower I have, then. I have someone I could introduce you to potentially. <laughs> <laughs> 
as a candidate. <laughs> That's fantastic. You're the friend that everybody wants to have as a single person. <laughs> I know he would just be the perfect person for you. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That is a superpower. That is. I think that's, yeah, you have that foresight. I love it. So what's what's been your biggest sort of business uh, achievement to date as an entrepreneur? Hmm. There's been a few. Um, the, the, look, the 14 Townhouse project was massive because it wasn't just it wasn't just the action of doing that it wasn't just the money it wasn't just the community stuff but it was the shift of a mindset for me from you know you can't make money and be in service to you can have both you can you can be in service and you can make money and actually that's the responsible thing to do um, because the other way of doing it is not sustainable not financially sustainable ends up in burnout and doesn't have the impact that you could actually have so I would say that's the biggest success that I've had just because it was really that mindset shift but some other pretty cool stuff that I've done recently I've got to stage three in the Telstra Business Awards so I'm just waiting to hear back as oh, to whether we go to the next stage so yeah. congratulations yeah, high impact property investments um and also um the Australian Small Business Australian Women's Small Business Champions Award. So we've been uh, awarded, well, we're a finalist in that, and then we go to the award ceremony in November. So that's pretty cool too. And it's just, so the, exciting. you know, thank you. It, it's the recognition that uh, we're doing good work and we're making a difference. And at the same time, I've got a hunger to do more. Like we're not finished yet. Yeah. How big is your team, Dion? Oh, teeny tiny. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. I just wanted to to highlight that because people who are listening may think, oh, there's a big firm behind all this. And it, you're a wonderful example of how, you know, small team can have massive might. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's myself. Um, we've got an executive assistant. Uh, we've got a, a customer support. I actually call her the customer love um, assistant. Um, and we've got somebody that helps us with content creation as well. So, yeah, I mean, the relationship side of things, because I see my role as really building relationships, that's something that I want to be doing. Then, you know, there's support that's needed around that. And, and I guess the biggest thing for me as well is that the clients that we have, we get to champion them. So I'm quite active on social media, on LinkedIn, for example, uh, just talking about the successes that our clients are getting because their success really makes a difference to the the community yeah where do people find you on linkedin whilst we're talking about it oh so they can search for me um dion Payne, uh d-i-o-n-e-p-a-y-n and yeah they'll find me there i'll give you a yeah. link afterwards as well yeah and it will be in the show notes so that's fantastic and also um can we just flip back a little bit to where you were talking about the mindset of you can't be in service and make a profit what was it that shifted for you to get to where you are now i think that's one piece that a lot of people struggle with when they're in the service industry where they want to do better for the world but they feel like they shouldn't be uh, profiting from it mm, that's a good question look I, one piece of advice i can give is to attend personal development courses i have um, and i've had coaching um, i'm actually working with a coach at the moment to to get to that next level of business growth and it's just really helpful to see the patterns for, you know, for somebody else to see the patterns or, or for you to have an experience of the games 
that you play because there's the saying how you do one thing is how you do everything so if you're not being successful in a particular area and it relates to a game that you're playing well how do you change that game but it's it's often having that time away from the busyness of business to be able to look closely into what it is that's happening and I mean for, for me from for my journey and I don't mind sharing this I, I realized recently that I like to keep myself busy doing stuff I I you know have this I think it was my nan actually like, <laughs> my nan who had the the amazing talent with herbs and um, but also instilled in me that hard work was really important so as a result, I've, I've done a lot of hard work over the past few years and, and it feels like um, all, all my experience was, you know, I have to work harder, I have to outpace everybody, but that was actually coming from a place of I'm not good enough. Um, so being able to see that, being able to reflect on that, um, I'm actually in the, it, it's interesting because I'm having a, a bit of a health challenge at the moment where I'm realising that my energy is quite low um, and I feel people will talk about this and talk about burnout and I feel that I'm you know I could be on the brink of burnout so being able to look at that and go okay well that hard work isn't necessarily working or it's it's got me to a certain point um but it's not going to get me to the rest of where I want to go because I wouldn't have the energy to actually do anything so yeah that that's the and this is all very fresh and new and sort of a, quite a recent discovery in the past couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm still sort of feeling my way through it. But what I have recognised is that actually the gift of the feeling, the low energy is how do I actually do my business in a way that is sustainable? Um, who do I need to bring on the team to, to make it go to that next level? And that next level is actually really important to me. That, that next level is the creation of resilient communities all across the world. So communities where we take into account uh, you know, health and human happiness and, and nature with regenerative farming and food production and income generation and transport and zero carbon, zero energy, that kind of thing. So it's a big game to play, but if I don't sort this out now, then I'm not going to get there and it's important to me to get there. So in the exploration of, well, what do I actually need to do to to make that work and part of what I've come to is well you know I need to expand the team we need to make sure we've got really strong systems in place and then from there then that's sustainable for me in terms of my energy levels and we can achieve the big goals that we've got um, but without that time away and that self-exploration and having a coach having a guide to sort of walk me through it I, I don't think that I would have got there yeah I'm breathing it all in as you're speaking it just feels so right it feels as i hear you talking about the process that you're going through and um definitely something that a lot of us can relate to and it feels so good to for you to have that clarity and it's also inspiring i think for others who who are still seeking that clarity and couldn't agree more having a coach is such an important thing and you talk about resilient uh, communities that you want to build and be part of what how do you describe resilience what what's your take on it because you're also talking about burnout and some people think of resilience as just pushing through and getting it done and i'm guessing that that's probably not your definition oh no <laughs> <laughs> i think i can illustrate that point um by telling you two stories so um the first as a child i grew up in a church community and even though we as a family didn't have much money 
And we always looked after people that were less fortunate than us. And, and we were always looked after within that church community. So that was my first experience of community. Now it came with some other stuff, some religious information, which I, I don't necessarily subscribe to now. But that feeling of, you know, somebody's got my back, that's resilience. Pardon me for saying it, if the shit hits the fan, I know who's got my back. That for me was resilience. And then I came to Australia. So, you know, quite a few years in between. I, I you know, studied and married and all of that, came to Australia. And where we live in Australia, just outside of Byron Bay, it's always had a reputation of being a, a strong community, a, a very strong um, community of people that love the earth and, and love the planet and really want to take care of it. And I remember it was when my second child was born, I got a phone call. So he was about four months old. I got a phone call from a, a girlfriend whose parents had been sort of pivotal in, well, well, they actually what happened is they alerted the community when logging was going to happen. And, and it was because of their actions, they, they went and blockaded and protested and all of that. And it was because of their actions, sort of forest is now protected. Um, so that's the sort of heritage of that story. And it was my friend who was the daughter of those activists. She said, look, you know, there's something else that's happening and there's a coal seam gas mining. There's a company that's bought some land really close to us. It's beautiful agricultural land. It will be very devastating for the community if this is to happen. And we're going to protest. And would you like to join us? And I'd already been doing some protesting around coal seam gas mining, you know, sort of going to... Um, you know going to marches and things like that but marching around climate change and just saying look this isn't acceptable let's do something different um so when she called and I was like hmm, you know I, there's going to be police there I don't want to get arrested <laughs> anyway I went there um with my both of my kids in tow so my four four month old boy on my front in a little uh, you know one of those little um, baby carriers and we it was basically a camp that was set up to be there for a temporary basis um, but every morning we would get up and go down to the gates where the coal seam gas mining company were wanting to go in and, and we basically blocked the gate. And that was, I mean, at one point there were 2000 people that were on that site um, and it was a non-violent protest. And in fact, we we had a dawn chorus. We, every morning we got up and, and went there and sang at dawn and, and then, wow. you know, people were providing food and other people were providing childcare and other people were learning about nonviolent um, protesting. And, and it was just this community of 2,000 people. Some people sort of came and, came and left. I, I would definitely came and left. I'd spend, you know, a couple of days there. That was about it. Um, but then sort of the next week when I could, I'd go back. And basically there was a day that 8,000 riot police were going to come to the site and um, the New South Wales government actually bought back licence because they didn't want bloodbath. And because of the media presence around it, like it had gone international. So the whole eyes of the world were on this tiny little village sort of in the hills of Byron Bay. And like it, nothing happened because the people said, no, we don't want this. And they were actually willing to take action, not just say we don't want this, but to take action and, and really stand up for the community that they love. And that has left a lasting impression on me. And that's the power of community for me. So I don't necessarily want to create lots of communities where we're protesting all the time. That's not the point. But it's just that there's a group of people that have got you back. And also the other story that I want to share with you is, again, a Byron Bay story. We recently, February um, this year, had severe flooding. It was devastating. It was all down the East Coast, but hit communities here really hard. 
And it had been quite a divided community before then because of Mullumbimby, which is where I live, is known as the anti-vax capital of the world. So you had some people that were very strongly, we're not getting vaccinated. And some people who were very strongly, well, we're getting vaccinated and you're being really selfish. So it was quite divisive. And I've never seen anything like that before in this community. It was quite painful. Um, But then the floods happened and all of that just metaphorically washed away and everybody was there to help everybody else. And it didn't matter whether you were vaccinated, had COVID, were coughing on people. It was just like there is a deluge of mud and crap and whatever in each of our houses. How do we help each other to get through this? Um, And it was it was shit that it happened. It was shit that flooding happened. But at the same time, it was amazing to see the resilience of the community again. So I have a belief that with what's happening with the climate, these things are going to happen more frequently. And if we can't come together to support each other in that, then what hope do we have? So that's that for me is what resilient community is all about. Just people that are there saying, yeah, I've got your back no matter what. Yeah. Wow. It reminds me a lot. You know, I live in Bermuda and we have hurricanes and they often brush by us and it's not much of an event other than maybe a few hours without power and then it's fine. And every once in a while they'll hit us directly and we'll get some some damage and houses all need to come together and everyone comes out and checks on the neighbors and clears up the debris and fixes a roof or whatever needs to be done. It's still that that community that comes together in in a in a situation where it's just needed. And that is resilience. And that is the power of community. And we believe very strongly in the power of community. And especially in the entrepreneurship world, where we all end up in, it can be very lonely. Mm-hmm. And finding a community of people who understand that journey, who can help you in that journey, makes a huge difference in how successful I think people are in that journey and how resilient you can be throughout it. Have you built a community of, of entrepreneurs around you as well? How do you, how do you handle the loneliness that can be uh, an entrepreneur? Me? Um, how do I handle it? Oh, look, I'm, I, I do just join communities. Um, in fact, Vicky and I know each other through a business community, a business accelerator. Um, and that's been awesome. I, I love the fact that we can jump into Facebook and, you know, if we've got a problem, I can just ask a question of the community. And somebody has been there, done that, um, and, and can advise on, on what they did. So, you know, it's things like that and just knowing that this journey can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. And, and there are people that are, yeah, willing to do that. Well, it gives me goosebumps to hear you talk about resilience in that way and the power of community and how community can keep you afloat and also help you thrive and help you make great change in the world. Can we ask about your book? Um, I'm sure there's a whole episode that could be recorded on the process of writing a book and what you might have learned yourself along the way. Just let us know what would you say was the main takeaway for you in writing your book um, and what would people most look forward to in reading the book well the the process of writing the book for me was really great because it helped me to clarify my ideas and it helped me to piece together the parts of the journey that I I didn't necessarily see so um, as an example of that the 14 townhouse project the builder went broke I fell out with my joint venture partners it was really quite painful. And, and I took a little while out of the property development industry to lick my wounds and, and just go, well, what actually happened? Um, but in writing the book and sort of 
you know, creating that timeline, I got to understand, yeah, I got to understand that it was almost like it was a predetermined journey and, and all of those things had to happen for me to get to where I am now. So it was, writing the book was quite cathartic for me, actually. It was really cool. Now, from somebody else that's, from the perspective of somebody that's reading it, I would say that property development, it's, it's one of those things, if you don't have any insight to property development, it's just, you just don't know and you don't know what you don't know. And, and so the book helps to demystify that. And for people that are thinking, well, look, I'd love to invest in some of these projects, but um, I don't know where to start. It's, it's really about, well, how do you know what to look for um, if you decide to invest in a project? And how do you know that the developer has got a really good track record, for example? So I've put together a framework, which is what I talk about in the book, and it's called the ethical framework, um, where E is for experience. So knowing what experience you've got as an investor is really important. Um, the track record of the developer is really important. And so there's a guide to how to ask the questions of the developer to make sure that, um, you know, that, that, that they've got that experience as well and, and, um, and done really well. Um, H is for high impact, which is uh, what I call the four pillars. So why do we invest in affordable housing? Why do we invest in disability housing? What are some of the challenges there? Um, I is for investment risk and how to look out for that and how to know what your risk profile is as, a, as an investor. C is for collaboration um, and having a collaboration team that you trust and that has got you back is really important. A is for aligned values, which kind of links in with the collaboration team as well. You've got to make sure that values are aligned or else it just doesn't work. Um, and L is for legacy. So rather than creating things that uh, you know, are going to fall over uh, very quickly, it's really about creating things that stand the test of time in the community in which they've been placed as well. Yeah, I like that. That's amazing. Cool. I want to read your book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want anything to do with property development, but I want to read your book. <laughs> because I mean, there's just I think you might want to invest. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Because I think what you're saying with all of those too, it goes in with with so many other industries or or how to partner with anyone because it's those aligned values, you know, knowing someone's track record, like all of the things you said are really important in no matter what industry. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and leaving a legacy. I mean, I want to leave a legacy. I think that's something we should all want in our life is to leave a legacy and make sure it's the the right impact for the future, for our future generations, for sure. Yeah, you have such an important message, Dion, and uh, I'm just thrilled that you've written this book because that will certainly help get that message out there to more people internationally and that you're already speaking internationally to some really phenomenal events. And I would hope to uh, see you on the TEDx stage in the near future. <laughs> I am. I am hoping for that myself. <laughs> okay, that's good. We'll we'll uh, keep working towards that. And yeah, it's just been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today about uh, ethical and high impact property investment. There's so much more to talk about, but we keep these episodes short and punchy. So we really appreciate your candor and your, um, yeah, just being very, very open, vulnerable and sharing your experiences as a resilient entrepreneur with us today. Thank you. And I think that that comes down to what individual resilience is all about as well. I think that, yeah, there's, there's going to be failures, but 
another way of looking at failures is that it's just another thing that didn't work. So you're going to pick yourself up and keep going or are you going to take the hit on the chin and, and leave it there? And, and resilient people will just go, you know what, I've learned another way in which not to do that. Let's go and find the way in which to do it. And, and that's important. Yep, that's it right there. Fail forward. I like to say fail forward. And then I, I, I recognise as well that um, in hearing other people's stories where I felt inspired and they've been open and vulnerable as well. And, and that vulnerability really connects you to that person. And it's just, you know, if, if somebody's saying, oh, it's all great, it's all great, it's all great. Well, it's not really helping anybody else to learn either. And then it's a lost opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely agree. And I think that's what really helps um, other entrepreneurs, especially ones just starting out or doing their first side hustle and things aren't quite working out. Maybe they're losing more money than they're making and they want to quit. Um, it's that, you know, we've all been there. We've all reached these points, but we've all persevered through in lots of different ways. And you just hear somebody else's story and it gives you just that little bit extra to just keep going. And it's just on the other side of that failure sometimes where success lies. It can be just right over that fence. So it's just about keep going, persevering and, um, and learning and hearing other people's stories really helps. I think people to get there faster. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much, Dion. It was great to talk to you. Wish you all the best. Good luck with all the awards. Um, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you both for being such great hosts. Ah, oh, thanks. So thanks for joining us on Resilient Entrepreneurs. We're Laura and Vicky from Two for One. We love supporting entrepreneurs, especially with mindset, marketing, and motivation, which is why we've built an incredible community of business founders who meet weekly in the Level Up League. If you'd like to know more about it, look us up at 241branding.com.